and welcome. It's the Monday edition of the Fan Checkdown on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Matt Marchese here with you. Donovan Bennett will be back tomorrow. Ask him about his trip. I was kind of hoping he'd bring that sunny weather back, but mm, not so much. But we got lots to talk about. Boy, oh boy, do we have lots to talk about. We got the Monday Nighter tonight. A, a juggernaut of a matchup. The Bengals against the Jaguars. I mean, it should have been, but it's not. We'll talk about that later on. We got a Bill Belichick press conference that we're going to talk about and hear from. And no, it's not going to be me doing it this time. Although I could put the hood up and do it. Uh, maybe we'll have maybe we'll have some Maddie does Bill Belichick commentary after we're done listening to it. But there were some interesting games yesterday. And look no further than last night in the Sunday nighter between the Chiefs and the Packers, the Chiefs visiting Lambeau Field. Not the Patrick Mahomes and, and Aaron Rodgers matchup that you know, people have yearned for for a while. Jordan Love did a pretty good impression of Aaron Rodgers last night. And I know that Chris Collinsworth talked to... It felt like every time he mentioned Jordan Love, he had to mention Aaron Rodgers and Brett Favre. But hey, it was still a great performance by Jordan Love last night. But I wanted to start off, because you know me, if you've, if you've listened to this station long enough, which I know a lot of you have, and you've and you've listened to me. You know that I like I can get a little ornery and a little grumpy. Lance is nodding behind the glass because he knows all too well. But that officiating last night, oh man, was it bad. It's almost as if Brad Allen and his crew had Chiefs money line. And then decided after that blown call on Jonathan Owens, where he hit Patrick Mahomes, who was inbounds, by the way, and Pat Mahomes dropped his shoulder to embrace contact because he knew he was still inbounds. Then they went, oh, live money line, Green Bay. This sounds really spicy. I like this one. And then they took the money line, Green Bay. Two missed calls at the end of the game. The pass interference on Marcos Valdez-Scantling. That was just... If there was ever a makeup call in the NFL, that was it. One penalty that was called that was horrible. And then an egregious one that is absolutely a penalty that does not get called. Because it really felt like at one point after that, after the call on on Mahomes or on Jonathan Owens on the hit on Mahomes, it really felt like the headline was going to read, Patrick Mahomes falls short despite officials' best efforts. Because this is not the first time that the Chiefs have gotten some interesting help. Look no further than week five against the Vikings. Three penalties on the exact same play that were not called. Like if you were, if you were doing a test 
and you had, or let's call it a pop quiz because the test is usually more than three questions. If you were doing a pop quiz and there were three questions on it in that game and they were all about calls that were made or not made in one particular sequence, those officials would have failed that test or that pop quiz. And last night, the same thing. The only difference is, is that the Chiefs couldn't capitalize when they needed to and the officials kind of made up the call at the end. But officiating's gotten bad in the NFL. I know it's under the microscope and I know with the, you know, the emergence of gambling and its importance. <laughs> sorry. The emergence of gambling and its importance publicly because we all know about privately how important gambling was to the NFL because, well, it was founded on gambling money. But hey, nobody wants to talk about that. So with gambling coming becoming so, and fantasy football for that matter, becoming so prevalent in today's game, it's so much more under the radar when calls are missed because there are there is a lot of money at stake both ways. And in last night's game, I'm sure there were more than a couple of people who were pissed off about that. Okay, on to the game because the officials got way too much spotlight. Matt LaFleur, we can, can we call Matt LaFleur Mr. December now? 16 and 0 in the month of December after last night's win. And yes, a lot of that was with his with Aaron Rodgers as the quarterback, sure. But the Packers have won three in a row, four of their last five, and they are right in that playoff hunt. And And I tweeted this last night. If you don't think that the Green Bay Packers are a playoff team, then you should probably look at their schedule because the rest of the way, they do not play a team with an above 500 record. They play the Giants on Monday. That should be a bloodbath. They play the Bucks, who, yeah, they won a game yesterday, but they had to squeak one out against the Panthers, who, by the way, are eliminated from the playoffs in case anybody was thinking about making a bet. Then the Packers play those same Panthers the following week, Christmas Eve. Division rivals and potentially a team that they're fighting for a playoff spot with in the Vikings on New Year's Eve. And then they finish up the season against the Chicago Bears. I can see maybe one loss in there. Like maybe the Vikings because it's in Minnesota and they should have Justin Jefferson back. I mean, he should be back this coming week, but he should be in the lineup barring an injury. I don't know. To me, that looks like a team that's going to get into the playoffs. And while the the defense has certainly played better and they have been causing havoc for other teams over the course of this winning streak. This is about Jordan love, right? The youngest offensive, it's the youngest team in the NFL, but also, and I think that the, the team average age is like 25.6 years, the offense and the skill position guys, that average is even younger than the team average. So this is a group that out of the gate looked good. And then as you start to face some adversity and the quarterback goes through his growing pains, really struggled 
through the middle part of the schedule so far. And now you can look at Jordan Love and say, he's playing at a level that I don't think anybody expected here. Like that win last night is one that he puts up on his mantle. 25 of 36 for 267 yards, 69.4% completion rate, three TD passes. Over his last three games, eight TDs, zero interceptions. And since that ugly loss to the Raiders on Monday Night Football on October 9th, he has 14 touchdowns and four interceptions in seven games. He's taking care of the football. He's making very good throws. And Matt LaFleur is scheming guys open. How many times yesterday did we see Jordan Love make a throw and then look at the guy who he's throwing to? And it's like, well, where is everybody? This defense that was all world for a big chunk of this season. Well, it really looked like the Packers had figured something out and Matt LaFleur had figured something out. I thought that the Packers played as good of a game as they could have played. And while AJ Dillon ran the ball, okay, it's not as if they established some sort of a running game where they were undeniable. That's not what happened last night. And Jordan Love is playing at a different level right now. He looks more like the guy that started the season than the guy in the middle of the schedule. And there's going to be even more opportunity, like we said, to pad the stats here with the schedule that they have coming up. It's bad. And he could really, really make some hay here. And we've talked about this on the show about evaluating certain quarterbacks. And Jordan Love was and should have been evaluated as if he was a rookie. Not a ton of experience playing in the NFL because he was playing behind one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. Fine. Just like in Patrick Mahomes' second year in the NFL after sitting for an entire season behind Alex Smith, Jordan Love should be afforded the same sort of questioning when it comes to looking at his in, the entirety of this season and his career because, again, hasn't played very much. But Jordan Love is having an incredible year. Like, if he were able to win Rookie of the Year, he would be at least in the conversation with C.J. Stroud for Offensive Rookie of the Year the way that he's playing right now. And you guys all know how high I am on CJ Stroud. I could have just paused there and people would have been like, yeah, no, we get it. We know how high you are. We've heard some of the things you say on the show. But also, we need, and and this is never going to happen, and especially in the media, and, and I understand that because, you know, there are people that love their 15 seconds of fame. They love their viral video. They love all that nonsense. So much lacking in journalistic integrity these days. But I think we need to stop making these bold proclamations after the preseason. Everybody thought that Jordan Love sucked and he was washed and we didn't even give him an opportunity because, yes, the, the preseason we learned so much about. 
teams and players. We also thought that CJ Stroud wasn't going to be very good either. Well, that, that ship has sailed. We also thought that Kenny Pickett and the Pittsburgh offense was going to be unbeatable. By the way, Kenny Pickett will miss time. And not to get too sidetracked here, but that Thursday night game, can we just blow it up? Can they? those two teams just not play? Mitch Trubisky against Bailey Zappi. Probably no Ramondre Stevenson for the Patriots. They're horrible. Pittsburgh's offense is a nightmare. They just lost to the Cardinals. Boy, oh boy. The you take it, I don't want it game. Is that what we're looking at here? Anyway, we need to we need to temper expectations and stop making bold proclamations after or during the preseason because it means absolutely zero. Jordan Love is proving that. CJ Stroud is proving that. And the Pittsburgh offense is proving that. Take everything you learn in the preseason with a grain of salt. And even things that we learn at the beginning of the season, because so many things can happen. And I know it's a week-to-week league, and it feels more like that now than it ever has. But especially this year, because there's just so much parity in the league. And teams that you thought were going to be great aren't. And, you know, teams that desperately need their quarterbacks to play, well, they're hurt. It's been a weird year. But the bold proclamations after preseason, during preseason, it's got to stop. Oh, it's got to stop. On the flip side, for the Chiefs, they lose top spot in the AFC, which is now held by the Miami Dolphins. And I can't believe that I'm saying this on a team that employs Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey that I don't know where this offense would be without Isaiah Pacheco. I thought he was toast last night. I think we all did when his body folded up over his knee like a a cheap suitcase. He comes back, rushes for over 100 yards, and all the guy does is score a touchdown. But if it weren't for that running game, where would this offense be right now? It used to be, well, Patrick Mahomes doesn't need a running game because he's Patrick Mahomes, and he has Travis Kelsey, and he has Tyreek Hill. Oh! maybe that's it. I remember having these conversations and I'm guilty of it as well because I certainly didn't think Tua Tagovailoa was going to be able to help Tyreek Hill maintain this level of success and actually, frankly, elevate it. But there was the conversation of do the Kansas City Chiefs need Tyreek Hill or does Tyreek Hill need the Kansas City Chiefs? And I think that between last year and this year, although the Chiefs won the Super Bowl, and I understand that, because there's also another factor in there that we're going to get to. But man, do the Kansas City Chiefs miss Tyreek Hill. I know it's uh, it's a very obvious statement because he's one of the best wide receivers in the game. But we weren't having that conversation last year. Now, why is that? And I wonder why. Oh, right. Because they had a secondary option behind Travis Kelsey in Juju Smith-Schuster that had done it at the NFL level. And that's no disrespect to Rasheed Rice because he's been a lot better, especially of late. But Juju Smith-Schuster added an element, obviously not the Tyreek Hill element, 
but at least it allowed Travis Kelsey to be better. Should we also be having the conversation that maybe Travis Kelsey is on the downturn of his career here? Because it certainly looks that way, and the numbers would certainly suggest that. Maybe Travis Kelsey is a little bit preoccupied right now. If I had a girlfriend who... My wife's not listening, so it's fine. If I had a girlfriend who was worth like a billion dollars, I might be a little bit sidetracked too. What do I need this football stuff for? They would have to sign a prenup, right? For sure. I know people with a lot less money that have signed a prenup. I didn't have any when I got married, so it didn't really matter. You want half of nothing? Sure. It's like I told my uh, substitute math teacher when she asked me, Mr. Marchese, what are you doing? I'm just asking for a pencil, ma'am. I'm going to deduct 10 marks off of your quiz if you do that again. Well, ma'am, I hate to tell you this, but it's really hard to take 10 away from zero. Check mark. So, Travis Kelsey doesn't look like the same player. They don't really have that second option, although maybe that worm is turning with Rasheed Rice. And the Kansas City Chiefs absolutely look like they need Tyreek Hill more than Tyreek Hill needs them because Tyreek Hill may set an NFL record for receiving yards in a season with an asterisk because that record belongs to Calvin Johnson. But for the Chiefs, You know, the defense was okay, but it really felt like the Packers controlled that game. And somehow the Chiefs were still in it. Maybe it's because, I mean, they're not, they're certainly not the worst football team in the world. We know that you can't be eight and four and be a bad football team. But there's one thing that the Kansas City Chiefs have lost. And that is the fear factor. Teams do not go into a game against the Kansas City Chiefs and fear that offense. They may look at the defense and say, it's a really good defense, and it is. Steve Spagnuolo's done a great job with them, and but they're really banged up right now. They were on linebacker three last night. Not where you want to be in the depth chart this late in the season, although a lot of teams are at that point right now, it feels like. But nobody goes into a game fearing the Kansas City Chiefs. Which for all the Bills fans out there probably bodes well because they get to play them this coming week. Speaking of fear, how about them Niners? If there was a team to fear in the NFL right now, it might just be the San Francisco 49ers. Because they put on an absolute clinic yesterday on the road in Philadelphia against the reigning NFC champs, the team who had only lost one game up until this point. They started out with back-to-back punts, and then they proceeded to rattle off six straight touchdown drives. Only one of those six touchdown drives was less than 75 yards. If there was ever a perfect performance or at least pretty darn close to it that was it by the eagles yesterday yeah the dolphins did put up 70 points earlier this year i remember that don't worry but on a team that includes christian mccaffrey and george kittle and brandon Ayuk, 
Debo Samuel continues to be kind of that X factor. And I know that, and I'm not saying that he's the best player on that offense, but how the offense moves when he's in the lineup versus how it moves when he's not in the lineup. And that has been frequent during his tenure in the NFL. It operates on an entirely different level with Debo Samuel in the lineup. It makes everybody's job easier. They use him out of the backfield. They use him on bubble screens. They use him in the middle of the field, in the slot, out wide. Literally everywhere. He is the perfect Swiss Army knife for Kyle Shanahan. And yesterday, that was evident. Four catches, 116 yards, two touchdowns, three carries, 22 yards, touchdown, 138 total yards, and three TDs. And when he's in the lineup, you know whose job he makes easier? Brock Purdy. And we and I I, I spoke about this on Friday when uh, our pal Daniele Franceschi joined me in the studio when we were previewing this game. I think now Brock Purdy has just opened that door and said, oh, MVP conversation? Yeah, I'm here. And I think he was kind of in that conversation before. Everybody just wanted to look at a three-game stretch where, yes, he didn't play that great, but he was going up against an all-world Browns defense who doesn't look like that anymore. And he was concussed in two of those other games, pretty sure. It feels like it's the only time that he throws interceptions is when his brain is rattling in his head. It's pretty good. 19 of 27, 314 yards, four touchdown passes. Another one to Brandon Ayuk, who I think that's five in a row for him. But here's the here's the MVP resume for Brock Purdy. 233 of 332 for a 70.2% completion rate, 3,185 passing yards, 23 TD passes to only six interceptions. He also has, and this is mind-blowing to me, four of the top eight passer rating games this season among every single quarterback in the NFL. If that's not an MVP resume, then I don't know what is. Really. And here's the other interesting thing. Brock Purdy's in that conversation. You know who else is in that conversation? Christian McCaffrey's in that conversation. Here's his resume. 1,032 rushing yards, 12 rushing TDs, 51 catches for 429 yards, five receiving TDs. Now, for those that are playing the home game, that's 1,461 total yards and 17 TDs And he still has five games left. So we're talking 2,300 total yards. 22, 23 touchdowns. And that's me being not very generous. I think that's kind of where he's at. Could we see two players from the same team in the final three for MVP voting, I think you can make the case for both of those guys. I can't remember seeing that. It certainly hasn't happened in my lifetime that I can remember, and I'm sure somebody will tell me otherwise. If you want to text me and let me know if I'm crazy, 590-590. 
But we could very well be seeing two guys from the same team in the MVP conversation. It's it's a conversation that I don't think that anybody thought we were going to have. No, not I don't think. I know nobody thought we were going to be having that conversation with Brock Purdy as the quarterback of the San Francisco 49ers. And yet here we are. I've had someone try and tell me that Brock Purdy is not elite. His name is Earl, and he says Brock Purdy's not elite. This guy's also a Cowboys fan who hates on Dak Prescott like it's nobody's business. So I don't really trust his opinion. Because everybody can say, well, look at the team success they've had with other quarterbacks under Kyle Shanahan, like Jimmy Garoppolo. Jimmy Garoppolo wasn't putting up these kinds of numbers that Brock Purdy's putting up. Can you say that it's because they have Christian McCaffrey? I can buy that. But Brock Purdy still got to make the throws. You lose me at Brock Purdy isn't very good when I see that he has four of the top eight passer rating games this season in the NFL. That is, there's absolutely no question that Brock Purdy has entered the chat in the MVP race. For the Eagles, as bad as that loss was, it really does feel like that was probably the best thing that could have happened to them. You come in, you're 10 and one, you're at home. You got big Dom DeSandro on the sideline trying to push San Francisco 49ers players. Life is good, right? Well, you kind of got punched in the mouth yesterday. And by kind of, I mean you gave up 42 points to a team that probably going to be in the NFC Championship game, whether with you or without you, but probably will be there. They they got their noses rubbed in it last night or yesterday. I mean, it did, it did bleed into last night. But a little bit of adversity at this point in the season is not the worst thing in the world for the Eagles because they've had it really good. They haven't played their best game. And to that point, they were 10 and one. We hadn't seen that complete performance against a good team. But what we have seen is the defense get lit up the last two weeks against good offenses. And I know it's been a different conversation between the Eagles and the Cowboys all year because the Eagles defense has had moments, whereas the Cowboys defense has had more of them, but against bad teams. But the conversation merges here. Can either of these defenses stop a really good offense? Because it certainly looked like the Niners did that yesterday. The Eagles could not run the ball on them, and then it got to a point where, well, now you got to throw it. And I don't even put that loss on Jalen Hurts. I just thought that the better team won, and handily. And I know we talked a lot about the offense for the Niners here, but we should give some flowers to the Niners' defense. Because the way that they played yesterday, and what a change since not only acquiring Chase Young, 
But having Steve Wilkes move down to the field has been, it's clearly working. Something they're doing is working here. And you could say, well, they added Chase Young, dumb, dumb. Yeah, okay, fine. Still got to make the right play calls. Still got to get creative with your blitz packages and your coverages. They also lost their starting safety. Like, let's not forget that. And that game could have been entirely different had the Niners defense broken and not just bent. Forced the Eagles to two field goals in that first quarter when we the Eagles moved the ball well up until they got within striking distance of a touchdown. And it was the Niners defense that held and only held them to six points. After they gave up that field goal, it was all Niners. And that's a big credit to that defense, who now looks again like we thought they would at the beginning of the season as an all-world defense. They are talented, they are deep, and they are going to be a problem. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Texans outlast the Broncos as Russell Wilson comes back down. Well, did he ever really leave Earth? Maybe he just had an out-of-body experience. Also, the Lions hang on for a win. The Saints are a tire fire. Derek Carr. And Bill Belichick, well, Bill Belichick was Bill Belichick. All that when we come back. Matt Marchese here on the Fan Checkdown on the Sportsnet Radio Network. We'll be back in a few. Big opinions and in-depth conversations covering the Leafs, Jays, Raptors, and the NFL. The J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Fan Check Down on the Sportsnet Radio Network and for those listening in podcast form because I know there's a lot of you out there. Thank you, thank you. So, in the break, um, technical operator Lance Kennedy has been in the keys. He gives me this information. We talked about MVP voting and having two teammates that are pretty close to the top. I said I didn't remember any tandem like that. I mean, I thought of a couple, but I didn't, I didn't know the exact voting. Well, Lance got it for me because he's a gentleman and a scholar. 1996, John Elway and Terrell Davis, two, three in voting. 1999, Kurt Warner and Marshall Falk, one, two in voting and Peyton Manning and Edger and James were three, four in voting that year. So two teammates in the top four or sorry, Two teams with two teammates in the top four. Say that five times fast. 2001, Kurt Warner and Marshall Falk again won two in voting. And DeMarco Murray and Tony Romo, 3-4 in voting in 2014. Now, it's funny that Kurt Warner and Marshall Falk are 1-2 in multiple years. Oh, I can't wait to get a lot of heat for this. Because that's kind of what this reminds me of with Brock Purdy and Marshall Falk. What have we talked about with Christian McCaffrey? 
he is like Marshall Falk. You can use him everywhere, and he's great. There's a lot of comparables here to Kurt Warner and Brock Purdy. Oh, man, people are seething right now. He's Hall of Fame quarterback, man. Come on. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Kurt Warner's wife is pissed. Yeah. Um, but Kurt Warner is undrafted. Kurt Warner was working at a grocery store. Nobody thought anything of Kurt Warner before he became Kurt Warner with the Rams. Guess what? Nobody thought that Brock Purdy was going to amount to a thing either. That's a really interesting look at how these two sets of teammates compare to each other. Huh. Well, I'm on the Brock Purdy train for MVP here. In case anybody was wondering. Although I still I still would love it to be CJ Stroud. Okay. Uh we've got a few things to get to before we get to the end of the show here. The Texans outlast the Broncos 22-17. Wasn't the CJ Stroud show in this one? 16 of 20, although 16 completions for 274 yards is pretty good. Um 274, a touchdown, also had the lost fumble. But it was the defense that did the damage for Houston. Three interceptions of Russell Wilson who hadn't thrown an interception over the course of the five-game winning streak previous to yesterday's loss. Big loss for the Texans in Tank Dell, who's out for the rest of the season with a fractured fibula. Leaves the door open for more opportunities for guys like Dalton Schultz and Noah Brown and John Mechie. And Nico Collins was a beast yesterday. I remember having conversations with a couple of Michigan fans about Nico Collins. And I was like, but coming out of school, like, yeah, Michigan fans, you know, they'll be biased about their guys. But I asked them, I said, you know, what do you think about Nico Collins at the next level? And a couple of that I had spoken to that I trust, they said this guy's going to be a, a very good receiver in the NFL because he has certain qualities that, you look for an alpha receiver. He's big. He can create separation. He's got good hands. And how, now he's got a good quarterback, too, to go along with it. Nine catches, 191 yards, and a touchdown. He had almost 70% of the team's yards through the air, 69.7 to be exact. He's got 991 yards and six TDs on the season. Like, Nico Collins is, and he's going to get more work here with Tank Dell on the sidelines with the injury with the injury. Now the wind puts Houston ahead of Denver in the AFC playoff race, seven and five, the Broncos fall to six and six. They have the same record. The Texans do as the other teams ahead of them that they're chasing Pittsburgh who won't have Kenny Pickett for at least this week, probably longer Cleveland who's starting Joe Flacco, who was still better than what they've been deploying at quarterback all year and Indianapolis who. They're still starting Gardner Minshew last time I checked. And I know they won yesterday, but they had to go to overtime against a really bad Titans team. Here's the other thing. Houston's going to play two of these teams down the stretch as their remaining schedule is a pretty light one. At the Jets, at the Titans, home to the Browns, home to the Titans, at the Colts, which could be a massive game to finish off the season between Houston and Indianapolis. Could be for a playoff spot. But I look at that schedule and I see a win over the Jets, a win over the Titans, 
probably a win against the Browns, a win over the Titans again. And then the Colts, let's, let's say that they lose that one, but it's a toss up. That's 11 wins for the Houston Texans. And they have given us no indication that they are going to lose those games because if the offense doesn't play that great, it was fine yesterday, but it wasn't as good as we have seen it. Then the defense steps up. Derek Stingley, another interception yesterday. And Will Anderson continues to be an absolute menace to quarterbacks. I think he's second in QB pressures this year. He's a rookie. And now you see why they traded up to get him moving a first round pick this year to Arizona in order to make that trade work to move up to get him. It's a fan. It it was a fantastic move. And in hindsight, yes, it's great. At the time people are like, "Mm, moving up all that way to get a, a linebacker or a guy who can play defensive end as well. It's like, okay, well, certainly has worked out for the Houston Texans and for the Broncos, obviously a big loss. But what yesterday showed us is that when this team needs to pass the ball to win because they can't run it and they didn't run it all that great yesterday, they can't really win. If Russell Wilson has to throw the ball in order for you to win, you are not winning. So as much as we want to praise Russell Wilson for the year that he's had so far, because generally speaking, he's been taking care of the football. He is not taking this team anywhere if he has to be the guy. If he has to be the Russell Wilson that we saw in Seattle, that was a very effective team that Russ could put a team on his back and throw for 350 yards or 400 yards and, and carry a team. Russell Wilson ain't that guy anymore. I don't care who his head coach is. He's just not that guy. So despite having a schedule that probably lends itself well to getting into the playoffs, teams are going to figure that out. Stop the run because Russ can't beat you. And to me, that is a a pretty straightforward way to stopping the Denver Broncos because teams hadn't been able to do that in previous games. Couldn't stop the run. And Russ doesn't have to beat you. Well, he needed to beat Houston yesterday, and he didn't come through throwing the final interception of his day, his third of the day, into the end zone on a third and goal to go, which touchdown with that much time left seals the game anyway. So Russ ain't that guy. You know what? I was going to talk about the Lions today, but we got to get this in here first. Um. So the Patriots, they're setting records for all the wrong reasons here. They lose to the Chargers yesterday, 6-0. And I understand that game, the weather was dreadful. It was, it was a monsoon yesterday. Regardless of that fact, the Patriots, according to ESPN Stats and Info, are the first team since the 1938, yes, 1938 Chicago. No, they were not called the Bears even in 1938. They were called the Cardinals. To allow 10 points or fewer, like 10 points or fewer they've allowed in three straight games and they lost all three. Think about how hard that is to do in a a league where offense is king. Maybe not as much this year, but generally speaking, offense is king. Second time they've been shut out this season. It's the fifth game 
where they've scored seven points or less. And they're horrible right now. They're two and 10 and they have the second best draft odds. Bill Belichick is putting on a clinic in tanking right now. Speaking of the aforementioned Bill Belichick, this was uh, this was Uncle Bill answering questions about the team's offense during his post-game press conference. I pieced this together because, I mean, we can't listen to all six minutes of it. But here's a snippet of the snappy and snippy Bill Belichick in his press conference from yesterday post-game. What went into the decision to start Bailey over Mac? I thought he deserved it. Was it something that he did, or do you feel as though Mac hasn't delivered on what you were hoping to get? I think he deserved it. Do you feel as though organizationally you've let Mac down a little bit, third year, first-round quarterback, now on the bench? Yeah. Just trying to put the best team we can out there every week. Bill, how, how surprised are you at the lack of production from the offense? I don't know. What, what do you identify as maybe some of the missteps, um, you know, that have contributed to the offense not producing this season? Yeah, I just, I just answered that question, Mike. I guess I'm, so, I'm trying to figure. I'm yeah, well, this is in the season review. We're talking about the game. Game's just over. Happy to talk about the game. I made my comments on it. I'm not going to get into a full season review if that's what you're asking. No. Bill, with the offense struggling, was there ever any consideration to putting Mac in the game? Yeah, we did. We thought it was best in the game. Bill, you mentioned Bailey deserved to play, in your opinion. What did he show you to earn that responsibility? Yeah, he's worked hard all year. So, was it just until recently that he had shown you that he deserved the job, or was that something that he may have deserved earlier than today? I said that he's worked hard all year, and I thought he deserved a chance to play. I made that decision last week. Bill, do you want to stay here and keep coaching the Patriots? Yeah, I'm looking forward to this week getting ready for the Steelers. Bill, is Bailey going to start on Thursday? Yeah, we just finished the game, though. You've said before. Yeah, well, we just finished the game, so I didn't even start on Pittsburgh yet. Bill, what do you think of the job Bill O'Brien has done with the offense and specifically today? Look, I think we all need to, you know, find a but you know, find a way to be more productive. That's what we're trying to do. All right. Anything else? Thank you. <laughs> anything else? Last question. Bye. My favorite answer of that whole thing, and there were a bunch of really good ones um, by Bill Belichick standards. Bill, uh, what do you think about the offense? And how it's performed this season. He it, he answered it like a child. I don't know. Well, Bill, you coach the team. You've put this team together. What do you mean you don't know? Bill, is Bailey going to start on Thursday? Well, we just finished the game. Yeah, we know that. Thank you, Bill. We all watched that horrible football game. You want to be here? I'm just looking forward to Thursday. you're the only one that's looking forward to Thursday because none of us are looking people that have to cover this sport like myself are not looking forward to having to watch that game on Thursday. That is one of those. Just put me out of my misery, please. 
end this nonsense. And I know Bill doesn't want to answer questions about this. He should, because he's the one who put this team on the field. Bad money spent on guys like Hunter Henry, Jonu Smith, who isn't even there. Devontae Parker, not to mention this horrendous draft record of offensive players. Tyquan Thornton, Pierre Strong, Mac Jones, Devin Asiasi, and Dalton Keene in the same round. Two tight ends in the same round. Both of them were off the roster within two years. And let's not forget that they drafted Nikhil Harry in the first round, who is bouncing around practice squads like it's his, well, it is his job, but like it's his job. So for as much as Bill doesn't want to answer these questions, he probably should answer something. Because this is on Bill Belichick. I also think that Bill's just kind of mailed it in here. Like there's, there's, and if you're Robert Kraft and, and that family, do you, and I think Jonathan is the son. Do you really want Bill Belichick running the organization with this quarterback coming through? Bill Belichick did an interview today. I think it was on WEEI in Boston, but I, I I would have to double check. And basically they asked because, because <laughs> Rex Ryan, of course, had to chime in about the Patriot way and how it's ruining players. Um, and he just said, well, Rex Ryan, he says, I'm not really sure what Rex is talking about because Rex has never been with the Patriots. Okay. We can all see it. It's not working anymore. You don't have Tom Brady to be that buffer for you. Bill was also asked about watching Thursday night football, and he said that streaming thing. Clearly, Bill does not order packages to his home via Amazon Prime. Actually, I was wondering if he had almost tripped over a package when he walked out of that house where we caught the video on the doorbell with his tarp off. Did he almost trip? Because then he would have looked down and said, oh, that's, oh. Amazon. Oh, I think they stream the games on Thursday. So apparently Bill Belichick also does not watch Thursday night football. I don't think a lot of people are going to be watching Thursday night football this week. Even Patriots fans are like, nah, do I really want to watch this? Because usually it's like, well, this past week I can watch Justin Herbert. In previous weeks, it's like I can watch the Cowboys. I can watch Dak Prescott and CeeDee Lamb do their thing. At least they had that. This week, they're like, oh, do I really want to watch Mitch Trubisky? Not particularly. Bill is a treat, but Bill needs to go. It's not working here. All right, Monday Nighter has the Bengals going into Jacksonville to take on the Jags. Speaking of a game that is going to be a real tough watch tonight, I mean, this does feel like an easy prediction kind of night, doesn't it? It's a big one for the Jags. Just keep pace with the Dolphins and Ravens. A win puts them at nine and three. And they're right there in terms of potentially getting a bye in the playoffs, in the AFC. Didn't think we'd be having that conversation about the Jags. Uh, The spread is 10 points in favor of Jacksonville. The total is 40. I mean, 40 points. 
do we think that the Bengals can score 14 or 13? Definitely can see the Jags scoring points in this one. I can't really see the Bengals doing much damage here. Jake Browning, the quarterback still. Um, I feel bad because there are certain guys that just shouldn't be playing games in the NFL. He would be one of them. He wasn't even good in college. So let's get to our best bets for today. How about Trevor Lawrence over 242 and a half passing yards? Travis Etienne has struggled a little bit of late, and they've had a lot of success through the air. And with that being said, uh, the guy who has had a lot of success is Calvin Ridley, and he's been fantastic over the last couple of weeks. They finally got him going. Um, but I'm going to go in a different direction here with the last bet. I'm going to go Evan Ingram over four and a half receptions. The Bengals just can't stop any linebackers. All season, it's been the case. We've seen Dalton Kincaid have some success. We've had guys have success that nobody's even heard of. That's how the Bengals' defense has been against opposing linebackers. Well, that's going to do it for us today on the Fan Checkdown. Donovan is back tomorrow as we will recap tonight's game and look at other big stories around the NFL. Thanks to Lance behind the glass. Thanks to all of you for listening. We'll be back tomorrow. The Fan Checkdown signing off. On the Sportsnet Radio Network, enjoy the game tonight. We'll chat with you tomorrow.